What a good God. Open your Bibles this morning, please, to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 12. Hebrews, chapter number 12. Hebrews 12, verse number 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. I have preached from these verses so many times that I tend to wonder why the Lord would have me to do it again. Whenever I think about this, I my first thought was when the Lord put this on my heart was, okay, what outline do I use this time? Because there are so many different approaches that you can take in regards to these three verses, so many different things that you can emphasize. And so there's a lot of different ways to preach it, but uh, we can approach it in so many different ways that it gets confusing trying to figure out, okay, what's the best approach for the moment? And uh, I finally decided that this message would be best if I don't use any outline at all. I simply want to talk to you this morning about looking unto Jesus. And the title of the message is, Looking Unto Jesus Again. I can't think of anything else to call it because of the fact that I've referred to it so many different times. So, you know, and I was just thinking if I live long enough, I hope I can preach Looking Unto Jesus Again and Again. And, you know, maybe by the time that I get time for me to check out, you know, I can say, looking unto Jesus again and again and again and again and again. Well, you know, one thing's for sure, we're never off base whenever we're focused on Him. That's for certain. Before I begin, though, I, I want to emphasize the importance of the word looking. It says, looking unto Jesus. And sometimes... You know, we think of that as more of a glance than we do uh, as speaking of a gazing upon the Lord. And so I want to make sure that we really understand what the writer is saying. Literally, that means this. It means to turn the eyes away from all other things and fix them on something. In this case, that something is someone, and the someone is Jesus. In other words, we are to be looking continuously unto Jesus rather than self, 
rather than the world, rather than our problems, rather than religion, rather than the past. We ought to be looking unto Him, and this, this commences by leading us to salvation. We look unto Him for salvation. It continues by leading us to sanctification, but it concludes with our glorification. So from the beginning of our Christian life all of the way to glory, we are to be looking unto Jesus. There's no pause button, no time to stop, you know, for uh, a refrain, but rather to be constantly looking at Him. And I hope this morning that this will be the most simple, clearest message that that I've ever preached. I want to be so narrowly focused this morning that no one can miss the point because I have only one point, and that point is Jesus. We should be looking to Jesus because Jesus is looking on us. Think about that for a little while, that we are never out of His sight. There's never a moment that we're not under, uh, without being under His care. That he's promised that he would be with us every moment of every day. So many times, and you've heard me say it, I've stressed the importance of understanding who we are and what we have as a result of the person and work of Jesus Christ. We must do that. Understanding who we are, what we have as a result of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to think about that and think about it often, but we should never do that or anything else to the exclusion of thinking about Christ Himself. Way back in 1879, a famous preacher by the name of J.C. Riley made a statement He said, I am afraid that many Christians in our day have lost sight of Christ. They talk more about salvation than about their Savior, and more about redemption than the one true Redeemer, and more about Christ's work than Christ Himself. You know, if that was true back then, just think about how much more true that that is today. And this shift of focus has been so subtle that, that we don't even realize that it's happened. Some people would accuse me this morning of making a big deal out of nothing because they emphasize the fact that, well, aren't we supposed to feel thrilled about what His grace has provided? Aren't we even obligated to think much about the things that God has done for us? And the answer to that is yes, all of that is true, but never to the extent that we focus on the gifts more than the giver. We sing that little chorus, it's all about you, Jesus, and that's What it needs to be, all about Him, because nothing in our spiritual life is more important than looking unto Jesus. And notice what the very next verse says. Notice it says, Consider Him 
And that's important because if we are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Bible tells us to do, we have to be ever looking at Him and considering Him. Remember, the Bible says that all Scriptures speak of Him. If that's true, then we need to be searching all of the Scriptures because they testify of Him. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit came to glorify and to testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so because that is true, because that is His mission in this world to testify to and to glorify Jesus Christ, then you and I need to be sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is pointing us to the Son of God. The point is, we must keep first things first, and Christ is always first. You know, we might say, well, there's nothing in the world more important than my salvation. Yes, there is. Christ Himself is more important than what we receive as a result of what He did. I noticed a while back someone has a website It's simply entitled, Of First Importance. Now, I don't know what all is on the website. I don't know about the content of it, but I know one thing. I can stand here this morning and tell you that Christ is of first importance. Always. It says, Looking unto Jesus... Looking unto Jesus for blank. You you fill in the blank. Somebody might say, well, I'm looking unto Jesus, you know, for salvation. Or I'm looking unto Jesus for the strength that I need to endure the trials that I suffer. Or I'm looking unto Jesus for the joy that's missing in my heart, the fullness that's absent in my life. I'm looking unto Jesus for whatever, you know, it is that you would put in that blank space. Let us not fail to look unto Him, period. Looking unto Jesus. If I'm focused on anything else then I'm focused on something that is second best. The Bible says He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, that He is the one that is altogether lovely. And because that's true, then I need to spend my time looking unto Jesus. I need to look unto Jesus for one thing because His attributes are amazing. We could spend the next two or three months just talking about the attributes of God, His love and His grace and His faithfulness and His power and all of those things that identify Him as what He is. Look to Him and see His attributes. Not only that, but His character is astounding. You think about that he was tempted in all points such as we are, and yet the Bible says yet without sin. Why, why wouldn't we spend time looking unto Jesus 
when his character is absolutely spotless. When we think about his works being admirable, we think about all of the good that he did and even what he's doing even now. When we think about the fact that his wonders have been affirmed by the word of God, that we have this record of a man who could heal the sick and raise the dead, give sight to the blind, unstop the ears of the deaf, feed the multitude, do all of those things. And we think about all of these wonders being confirmed by the word of God. We think about the fact that his commands are authoritative. Whenever that he speaks, he speaks with all the power in heaven and in earth. We think about the fact that his promises are absolute, that he has never lied, he's never deceived us. But whenever he gives a promise, he cannot lie. His promises are absolute. His presence is assured. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. His rewards are available. It's no wonder that somebody many years ago wrote a little song that says, Ain't nobody like Jesus. That's right. There ain't nobody like Jesus. He is one of a kind. He's in a class all by himself. No tongue can describe him. I've had the privilege of hearing some of the greatest auditors of our generation. I've listened to Bob Jones Sr. I've listened to R.G. Lee. Men who could weave a word picture that would just knock your socks off. And yet when all is said and done, none of those men with all of their ability... None of them were able to accurately describe the loveliness and the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ because there's no tongue that can really describe Him. There is no mind that can comprehend Him. There's no song that can fully express Him. There is no poem that can explain His greatness. There is no picture that can capture His likeness. Whenever we think about the beauty of nature, it stands, you know, without saying that when we think about the beauty of a sunset, that at least for me, the natural sunset itself is more beautiful than any picture that that man has ever made. There's nothing like the real thing. And even so, whenever we think about the Lord Jesus Christ, He's more glorious than tongue or pen can ever tell. You see, when I set out to magnify the Lord, when I set out to exalt Him, I can stand here for hours and be at my very best and know from the beginning that I'm going to fail because I have no way of totally, adequately describing to you the beauty and the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. How can we not be attracted to such a person as Christ? Think about that. How can we not be attracted to Him? I mean, look, if we don't turn to Him, where will we go? If we refuse His gracious order, to whom shall we look? I mean, there is nowhere else to go. There's no one else who has the answer. There's no one else who has the power. So when he says looking unto Jesus, please understand that looking unto Jesus is the only way to salvation. Remember in John chapter 3, and the Lord says, beginning in verse number 14, 
whenever he's speaking to Nicodemus and he says, you know, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And you think about those ancient Israelites, whenever they looked upon that, that serpent of brass and they were spared from the judgment of God. And it's only by you and I looking unto Jesus that we're able to be saved. I don't remember all of the story, but I remember enough of it to relate this much, that when Charles Spurgeon was but a lad, it it happened that because of bad weather, he stopped in a little chapel or a little church somewhere there in in England. And, and, And if I remember right, the preacher couldn't get there that day. And one of the deacons was conducting the service, and he got up and preached from the book of Isaiah, where it says, Look unto me, all ye the ends of the earth, and be ye saved. And that day, that lad, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, put his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Simply by looking unto Jesus. You, you see, it's not by trying to act like Jesus that we're saved. It's not imitating His ways. It's not taking His name. It's not trying to do His deeds. It's just by looking unto Jesus. It's just a simple look of faith. I mean, the Lord couldn't make it any more easy than that. Just looking unto Jesus with the eye of faith. We look to Him. And we need to understand that we're not saved as a result of walking down the aisle. We're not saved as the result of saying a prayer. We're not saved as a result of joining the church. We're saved by looking unto Jesus. Just simple faith, trusting Him. Not only are we saved by looking unto Jesus, in addition to that, we grow spiritually because we're looking unto Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, the Apostle Paul, as he speaks to the church at Corinth, chapter 3, and I want you to notice verse number 18, because this is the key to our growth as believers. He says, but we all with open with open face, that is, without a veil on our face, without any covering, beholding as in a glass... That would be like looking into a mirror. He says, we behold in the glass, what are we looking at? Notice, the glory of the Lord. In other words, we're looking unto Jesus. We're seeing the glory of the Lord in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice what happens. We are changed into the same image. From glory unto glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You see, growing spiritually is not a result of us trying harder and doing more. It's not a result of us learning more information. We grow as a result of the Holy Spirit working in our life. He's the one that promotes growth. And He does that as we focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we are looking unto Him... We not only look to Him for salvation, we look to Him for spiritual growth in our life. And there have been some people that have been saved years ago, and yet they're, well, they're like 
little babes in Christ even after all of these years. That's exactly the problem that Paul encountered with the folks there in the church at Corinth. He said, ye are babes in Christ. They're in Christ. They're saved. They're going to heaven, but they're immature. They're like little children spiritually. And that's exactly where a lot of church members are. They're still like little spiritual babes. Why? It's simply because they've not been looking unto Jesus. They look unto Jesus to be saved, but then it stops there because in their mind, my sins have been forgiven and I'm going to heaven when I die. That's, that's the only thing that's important. But that's not the only thing that's important. We're looking unto Jesus to be saved. We're looking unto Jesus that we might grow spiritually. Not only that. We must be looking unto Jesus if we're going to persevere, especially in the times that we live in. Notice what he said in verse number 3. He said, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Now, listen carefully. Lest, in other words, this is the result of not considering him, the result of not looking unto him, ye be wearied and faint in your mind. I tell you, life is tough. It's hard for everyone. Man, this born of woman is a few days in full of trouble. There's none of us that's going to get out of this life without going through times of great difficulty. And that can be so very discouraging whenever we, we feel, at least in our heart, that there's no justification for our difficulties. And as a result of that, we, you know, get to thinking, well, we deserve more and bigger and better, and it's just not fair that I've got all of these problems. So how is it that we endure? How is it that some folks, year after year after year, they are solid as a rock? I mean, they listen, they've been a church member for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and I mean they're right there. When they're needed, they're there. After all of these years... And it's not because their life has been easy. It's because they have found strength in keeping their focus on Jesus Christ. You know, let me tell you right now, I don't care who you are. If you lose your focus of Christ, if you stop looking unto Jesus and get your mind on other things, it's just a matter of time until you fall and you fail. Looking unto Jesus for perseverance, the thing that keeps us going when life gets tough. Not only that, we have to look unto Jesus for peace and for joy. We live in a troubled world and we think about our Lord's command to His disciples. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. (laughs) That doesn't even sound realistic. They're about to lose their very best friend. They're about to be left in the lurch. I mean, they don't know what they're going to do. They have no idea really what's going on at that point in their life. And yet he said, let not your heart be troubled. Look, if it says, let not your heart be troubled, that means that you've got something to do with it, right? That word let indicates that you and I are a part of the process. If we fail, it's our fault. If we succeed, it's the result of something that we do. And the something that we do is to keep looking unto Jesus Christ himself. There are a lot of people that are deeply troubled simply because they've taken their eyes off of Jesus. It wouldn't make any difference how much money you put in their bank account. 
there's still trouble. They don't have any peace. They don't have any joy. Their favorite team can win the World Series, and they're still troubled. I mean, they're just that something that is missing in their life. And the problem is they've taken their eyes off of the Lord, and they're troubled as a result of it. We have to be ever looking unto Jesus if we're going to have the peace and the joy that we need to persevere during difficult times. Not only that, we need to keep looking unto Jesus when it comes to the matter of worship. You know, it's real easy to sing all of the songs and to say all of the right things and to not have Him as the focal point. And let me tell you, the very minute that Christ isn't the focal point of what we're doing, we're no longer worshiping God. Whenever we think about worshiping God and think about living our life, is it not to be like unto those that are in heaven? Isn't that what the Bible teaches us? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know what it's going to be like in heaven? Revelation chapter number 5 tells us, There in heaven all of the heavenly choir is gathered around one central figure, and that's Jesus Christ Himself. And they sing day and night, year after year, not only the first million years, but for all of eternity. The song of the redeemed is worthy is the Lamb that was slain. All eyes are going to be on Jesus. And for us to be able to worship God in spirit and in truth, we have to be looking unto Jesus. Before you ever enter into this room, you ought to do everything within your power to be able to block out of your mind everything that's going to be a distraction and to be thinking of Jesus only. In fact, Philippians 2 and verse number 5 says we are to have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. We are to learn of Him. We are to think like Him. We're to follow after Him. We are to live for Him. We are to become like Him. And we are to reflect Him to those around us. And we cannot do that if we are preoccupied with self. We can't do that if we are entangled with the things of this world to the extent that we've lost our focus on Jesus Christ. Here's the real key described in John chapter number 15. The parable of the vine and the branches, and the Lord simply says there that I am the vine and you're the branches. Without me, you can do what? Nothing. The branches are in need of the vine, and there must be that abiding because the vine, the branches are depending on the vine, and maybe you never thought about it. But the vine is depending on the branches. Remember when the Lord was going to go into Jerusalem and he sent his disciples ahead and said, I want you to go to this man and, you know, he's got the fold of an ass there and tell him that the Lord hath need of him. Did you ever think about the Lord having need of anything? 
Well, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He has all power in heaven and earth. He can do anything. And, and you know, I've heard people say, well, the Lord doesn't need anything. Well, it's according to how you look at it. Because the Lord does need something. The Lord needs you. If you're a child of God, the Lord needs you in order to fulfill His purpose. We all know that the branches depend on the vine, but the vine is dependent upon the branches because the branches produce what? The bud and the flower and the fruit and so forth. In other words, it is through the branches that the vine is able to express itself. It's through the branches that others are able to be able in some way profit from the vine itself. And so the Lord is manifesting Himself through His people. And that is as we focus on Him, we keep our attention on Him, as we consider Him, as we look unto Jesus Christ, we day by day, moment by moment, become more and more and more like Him. And after a while, others begin to take notice of that. And then whereas we have been doing nothing but receiving, now we begin reflecting. And now others are able to see the Lord in and through us. The key is what? The key is that we abide in Him. That word abide there means to reside and remain. To reside and to remain. Sometimes we use the word communion or the word fellowship. But none of those words capture the real meaning of abiding in Christ. It means that we abide in Him. And by the way, and He abides in us. Think about that. He resides and He continues. He remains in us. Paul said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Isn't it a wonderful thought to think about the fact that Jesus Himself has taken up residence within us? You know, the little kids explained it in very simple terms. They say, you know, Jesus lives in my heart. You know, I've heard preachers, you know, trying to act like great intellectual giants and so forth, and I've heard them uh, being critical of such expressions as that. Well, I don't know how you could explain it any better than that. That Christ abides in us, and we are to abide in Him, because without Him, everything is vain. Without Him, we can do absolutely nothing. If you're here this morning in some way or another, for whatever reason, you've lost your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to get it back. It might be that sin has blurred your vision of Christ. It does that, you know. We become blinded by our own sin. We fail to see our needs. And if that's the problem, you need to confess it. Because if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
It might be that your vision is obscured by material things. And if that's the case, you need to set your affection on things above and not the things of this earth. It might be that your vision of Christ has been dimmed by fear. Something has happened that has just simply overwhelmed you. You're frightened. You don't know what to do. You don't know where to turn. And if that describes you, you need to get a grip on grace. Because the Bible teaches us that His grace is sufficient for every single need. It might be that your vision of Christ has been diminished because of pain and suffering. You know, it can be so very hard to do the things that you ought to do whenever your body is winding down. When your body is racked with pain, sometimes your mind can't even think straight. And sometimes as a result of that, we're even tempted to get bitter and to murmur and to complain because of the pain that we're suffering. And it can cause us to lose sight, to lose focus of Jesus Christ. Because all of a sudden, instead of thinking about Him, all we're thinking about is ourselves. And if that describes you, the way to get your spiritual sight back is to consider Calvary. I'm not talking about a mere glance. I'm talking about every single day of your life intentionally going to the Word of God and thinking about Calvary. Whenever we think about what our dear Lord suffered and who He suffered for, when we think about all that He went through, it becomes more and more and more difficult for us to complain about what we're going through. I mean, what right do I have to complain? Because I don't deserve anything. Because of my imperfections, I'm getting nothing any more than what I actually deserve. But whenever I think of Calvary and think about the Son of God and what He suffered, but He deserves so much more. And to think about the fact that He did that for me, for me. And as I keep my focus there, it enables me to deal with all of these other issues in life. For example... Sometimes we lose our focus on Christ because we become bitter at our enemies. Somebody that has neglected us or abused us or ignored us or whatever, and all of a sudden we find ourselves getting more and more bitter toward that person. The only remedy for that is for us to forgive them. Have you ever... Have you ever been in a situation where someone hurt you so bad you thought to yourself, there is no way under God's heaven that I can possibly forgive that person. They've hurt me so deeply that I don't think I can ever forgive them. Let me tell you something. You keep looking to Jesus. You get your eyes on Calvary And I promise you, God will enable you to forgive that person. The only reason we can't forgive others is because we've got our eyes off of the Lord. Whenever your fears are big and your faith is small, 
get into the Word of God and look to Jesus. Whenever, whenever your zeal has died, it's just melted away. Rekindle it by spending time in prayer. Whenever your joy has suddenly vanished, stop and think about who you are and what you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when your enemies are many and your friends are few, remember, you have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I'm simply trying to tell you, you don't have to live another day in your wretched condition. You don't have to go on miserable throughout the remainder of your life. Look to Jesus. The circumstances might never change, but you will. As you're looking into that mirror, beholding the glory of the Lord, He says you are changed into that same glory as by the Spirit of God. So regardless of the conditions around us, We can have peace in our heart, joy in our soul. It is so easy to sit down in front of the television and watch the news and to think about all of the bad stuff going on in the world. Bev and I, like no doubt some of you, there have been times that we have literally wept, shed tears, thinking about what our grandchildren and great-grandchildren are going to be faced with in this wicked world. It just tears your heart out. And I'm telling you, if you're not careful, folks, we can get to the point that we are so troubled by the things of the world that we lose the joy of being a child of God. That shouldn't ever happen. And the only reason it ever happens is because we have taken our eyes off of him. Corey Tenboom, if you've never read her story, you ought to do so. Corey Tenboom, who suffered horribly, it was just absolutely amazing what that poor woman went through. And she said, after being delivered from the Nazis, she said, If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look to Christ, you'll be at rest. And I hope when you leave here today, you can say, Wow, I'm at rest. I finally have peace and joy in my heart again. I'm finally living life as life is supposed to be. But let me tell you, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that'll never be possible for you. Until you look to Him for salvation, you'll never be able to reap the benefits of being a child of God. You'll never be able to deal with the difficulties that come against you. That's where it must begin. But it shouldn't ever end. Until the day that we die, we ought to be looking unto Jesus. Why? Because He is the author and the finisher of our faith. You see, we ought to look to Him because of His person, the author and finisher of our faith. Not only because of His person, but if you look here, also we see because of His passion By that I mean His suffering. He endured the cross. 
And then we ought to be looking to him because of his position. It says that he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He sat down for one thing because one work concluded. The work of redemption ended because the price had been paid. The sacrifice offered and he sets down there at the right hand of the throne of God. But when he sat down there concluding one ministry, another commences because it is then that he takes his place as our great high priest, our advocate, the mediator, the one between us and God, and enters into the ministry of intercessory prayer for us. So many times we ask each other to pray for us. I'm glad to know this morning that even as I feebly tried to deliver this message, that Jesus himself is praying on my behalf. And we have a high priest that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows what it's like. And as a result of that, he is attuned to every need in our life. Look to Jesus this morning while we stand together, Father. How we thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. How we thank you for the greatness of your love. How we thank you, Lord, most of all for the gift of your Son. And Heavenly Father, forgive us of those many times that for whatever reason that we take our eyes off of Jesus And Lord, help us to stay focused on Him 24-7 every moment of every single day to not let anything distract us from His loveliness. And then, Lord, for those that are here today that that are unsaved, may may this be the day and may this be the hour that they see their need and with simple childlike faith They'll look to Jesus for the salvation of their soul, for we beg it in His dear name. Amen. And now as we stand and as we sing,